ho, 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 and hello, ho, 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 to this, the latest bonus episode for all patrons who give at least $1 a month via Patreon. That one was a bit of a stretch. I think I pulled something in my lower back. Oh, ho, 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 the pain. Hello. Thank you for donating as always. Today, we are talking about Jingle Jangle, like Christmas Journey, the Netflix Christmas movie musical that was originally dropped on Netflix on November 13th, 2020. I will start by (laughs) saying this. There was someone on Twitter, someone, I don't know who this person is. They appeared in my mentions, in my replies, and they had something to say in regards to the title of the subject of our bonus episode. They essentially said, am I the only one who thinks the title of this movie, Jingle Jangle, am I the only person who thinks this title is a little minstrel-y? This was absolutely a white person who asked this question, and my response to them is, yes, you're the only one who feels this way. Am I the only one who feels that Jingle Jangle is a little minstrelly? Yes! Ho, ho, ho! You're the only one! Please sit down. Enough already. I'm all for hot takes, but sometimes the takes that we think are red hot are just mild or cold. I do have some movie facts regarding Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. The director and writer of this film is David E. Talbert. The score was composed by John Debney, and the music and lyrics for the songs were written by John Legend and Philip Lawrence, the choreographer Ashley Wallen, and the film stars Felicia Rashad as Grandmother Journey, Forrest Whitaker as Geronicus Jangle, Sharon Rose as Joanne Jangle, Anika Noni Rose as Jessica Jangle, Madeline Mills as Journey, Chiron L. Dyer as Edison Latimer, Keegan-Michael Key as Gustafson, Ricky Martin as Don Juan Diego, Lisa Davina Phillip as Miss Johnston, and Hugh Bonneville as Mr. Delacroix. Ah, yes, so I'm going to provide a quick plot summary. I'm going to drive right through it as fast as I can. Vroom, vroom, beep, beep, I'm driving here, I'm driving here. Uh, This is for those of you who have not yet watched the movie. Perhaps you are already intrigued. Perhaps you are curious about Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. Well, I would recommend it to you, as would my husband, Chris. We watched it together. We found it to be a perfectly lovely time at the movies, quote-unquote, even though, you know, we do have our little quibble. We have our nitpicks, which I'm going to go into as we move even further into our deconstruction. But, you know, all of those little things aside, it's a good time, so I would recommend it. Maybe you want to go watch the movie come back. Maybe you just want to have the whole thing spoiled for you. I don't know. If you do, let's just do that now. Let's do the plot summary right now. The film does have a framework device. The story is bookended at the top and the end with a character known as Grandmother. Journey. Now, this is spoiled for you. If you check IMDb, it will be revealed to you that Felicia Rashad plays an elderly version of the little girl who sits at the heart, the center of this story. The movie itself would have you believe that it's a reveal, a twist. Oh, the little girl we've been watching is this old woman who has been telling us the story. The story she's been telling is her own story. It's not that big of a reveal. If you have any sort of a capacity to predict these things, you you will more than likely put this together for yourself, or I'm doing it for you now. Who cares? So Felicia Rashad plays Grandmother Journey. She has two grandkids, a little girl and a little boy, and they have a very strange dynamic because this little girl stares into fire. There is a fireplace in their residence. She likes to stare into the fire. Not a good idea. I wouldn't encourage children to do this, but in the fire, she sees dancing sprites. Ooh, little fairy like nymph creatures who are dancing about because she has a brilliant imagination and her brother doesn't. Her brother doesn't see the little fairy creatures in the fire. Oh, what are you talking about? Nonsense! Nonsense! I don't believe in such ridiculousness. And so Felicia Rashad as Grandmother Journey says, well, I think it's time for you to hear the story of Geronicus Jangle. Here, let me take out this gigantic book that is made up of, <laughs> made up of pistons and gear 
mirrors and so much clockwork that it's going to blow your goddamn mind. This Rube Goldberg... This Hellraiser puzzle of a book that I'm going to open up this ancient text, this tome, and now I'm going to tell you the story of Jeronicus Jangle, I do say. Jeronicus Jangle is a young, young adult when we start this tale of ours. He is a brilliant inventor. He owns and operates Jangles and Things. I think it's Jangle and Things, actually. It's a very, very popular toy shop, and he invents everything that they sell there. Oh, he's a brilliant man, and he's a a very lucky man because he has a beautiful wife named Joanne and a beautiful little daughter named Jessica. Oh, everything is going so well and everything is going to get a lot better very soon because, oh, what's that in the mail? Oh, it's the final ingredient in his terrible Frankenstein recipe. Oh, yes. That's right. Jeronicus has discovered the secret to imbuing life in things that should not have life in them. He pours liquid life into this little marionette that is voiced by Ricky Martin. The character name, again, is Don Juan Diego. And Don Juan Diego is very excited to be alive, to have sentience, to have free will. He, he is more than happy to run about and dance about. But then he is horrified to discover that Geronicus has a plan to mass-produce marionettes just like him. And that does not sit well. That does not sit well with Don Juan Diego. He wants to be one of a kind. And so Don Juan Diego turns to Geronicus Geronicus's, oh, his, his careworn hapdog apprentice assistant, and this young man is named Gustafsson. Gustafsson? It's a hard name to remember. Anyway, the marionette says to Gustafsson, hey, look, dum-dum, come here. I can tell that you're not really a fan of working under Geronicus Jangle. And Gustafsson says, oh, you have that right. You have that down pat, little puppet. That's because, oh, I want to be an inventor myself, I do say. I have this Whirligig helicopter toy I've been working on for years years, and Jangle keeps saying he's going to help me perfect it for market, and he just keeps forgetting about me. He keeps forgetting about me. It's so frustrating. I just want to be a successful toy maker inventor like Geronicus. And so Don Juan Diego says, well, here's a proposal for you. If you help me to ensure that I am not mass-produced and that I remain one of a kind, I will help you to steal Geronicus's book of inventions. We will run off into the night, into the streets, and we will begin our own toy empire and one day we will crush, crush Geronicus, I do say. And Gustafsson likes that idea. And so they steal the book and they run off into the night. The theft of his book is such a blow to Geronicus. Oh my God, he is just shaken. He can't even pick up a screwdriver anymore. And he watches as his toy shop slowly degrades over time. And yes, he has the love of his wife and daughter, but then one day his wife falls over dead. Clunk, plunk, clunk, she's dead and he is just overcome with grief. It's too much. I lost my book of inventions, and then I lost my wife, and his daughter, Jessica, keeps saying, you know, Dad, Daddy, I'm still alive. We still have each other. Geronicus is just, he has nothing for her. He says, I must send you away, my daughter. It's too painful to see you. You are a reminder of everything that I've already lost. I can't take it anymore. Please go and live your life away from me. And so Jessica does, and it's a disaster flash forward in time. Now, now Geronicus is played by Forrest Whitaker. I guess it's time for my Forrest Whitaker impression. I wrote down that I should do an impression of him. I, I mean no offense to Mr. Whitaker, but his portrayal of old Geronicus is truly batty. It just sounds like this, everything that he does these days. Forrest Whitaker, it's just some variation on some gibbering madman. Sometimes he's really quiet and he's just talking to himself. Oh, where's that widget? Where's that doodad dicky? Oh, I need my doodad dicky. And then other times he gets a a little bit more worked up. Ah, Christmas is just around the corner. Ah, he's a real crazy person, old man Geronicus. I should say that despite his best efforts, old man Geronicus Jangle is not completely on his own. The toy shop has sort of degenerated into this bric-a-brac pawn shop fix-it-up place, but he's not by himself. He has a little boy named Edison, and Edison is desperate to become an inventor just like Geronicus, even though Geronicus hasn't invented anything 
in something like 30 some odd years, Edison is determined to become Geronicus's brand new apprentice, despite the fact that Geronicus keeps saying to him, no, no, why won't you listen to me? You strange little boy. I'm not an inventor. Get away from me. Edison is like, hello, it's me, Edison. I have strange teeth and large glasses and a British accent. Oh, I so do love you, father figure. Please love me back. And Geronicus is essentially saying to him, no, but that's not the only person in Geronicus's life. There's also Mrs. Johnston, Miss Johnston, as she makes it very clear, very plain. And she very obviously, very plainly, wants to have sex with Geronicus. She has an entire song about how horny she is in the face of Forrest Whitaker with a gigantic salt and pepper wig on his head. Ooh, it really gets her gears going. Talk about clockwork. She is wound up tight. She needs to be released from her tension. Oh my God, Miss Johnston desperately wants to be laid out. Oh, there's also, I should say, another person in Geronicus's life, and that is Mr. Delacroix. They have known each other for many, many years. And yes, he represents the bank, the big, scary bank, but he's not an evil banker character. No, he's a nice guy who says to Geronicus, look, we have been loaning you money for 30 years. You have been promising a return on that investment in the form of a new toy, a new fabulous invention, and you have not produced anything in 30 years. So I'm sorry, but if you do not give us the money that the bank has loaned to you, by Christmas Day, we will have to seize Jangle and Things, the toy store pawn shop. We will take everything from you, Geronicus. And Geronicus is essentially, at the top of the movie, resigned to this fate to a certain degree. He's like, oh, okay, fine. You'll take everything, fine. It's not like I haven't already lost everything. Ah. But perhaps Geronicus's fate is not sealed in such a way that, you know, he can escape from it. There is a little spark of opportunity, a tiny gleeful Annie Warbuck's little sprite of a child who is coming his way, and that is Jessica's daughter, Geronicus's granddaughter, Journey. Yes, a Christmas journey. Journey has arrived. She's a little girl who goes on a journey to visit her inventor grandfather. Why? Because she also wants to be an inventor. I should also say that Geronicus's daughter wanted to be an inventor. Everybody wants to be a fucking inventor in this movie. Edison, his daughter, his granddaughter, oh, Gustafsson. Gustafsson, of course, wants to be his own man, his own brilliant inventor in his own right. It's, it's a real trendy job, inventor. It's a real BuzzFeed type thing. Oh, the top 10 <laughs> inventors. This bit is going nowhere, and so I am abandoning it. Uh, Journey shows up. She starts bugging <laughs> Geronicus all the time about, oh, I want to be an inventor too. And she teams up with Edison and they discover, what's this? They discover in the attic of Jangling Things, a robot. A robot named Buddy. They find the mechanism, the core mechanism of this robot. They pop it into the robot's chest and it comes to life. It's me, Buddy the robot. Hello. And the only reason Buddy works, really, I mean, there's a lot of machinery that goes into Buddy's, you know, operating system, but the real, the real trick to getting Buddy to work and talk to you is you have to believe. You have to have faith in the idea that Buddy can work. If you don't have that if you're a cynical, broken man like Geronicus, oh, but he's never going to work for you. He's never going to fly around. He flies, and he's never going to make you fly. That's right, but he has the ability to make human beings fly. How? I don't know. It's a magic Christmas movie. Leave me alone. So Buddy is a pretty fantastic invention, and he could very well save Janglin' things from being seized by the bank. That's pretty obvious. But Gustafsson has been spying on Janglin' things for quite some time now because they have already mass-produced everything that was in that giant book of inventions. They've run out of ideas, and Gustafsson is not a good enough inventor to come up with his own ideas. The whirligig helicopter thing that he's been working on since he was like 20 years old is still a piece of crap and still does not work. He's not a genius like Mr. Geronicus Jangle, I do say. And they spy, he and Don Juan Diego spy Buddy flying around with Edison and Journey. And so Gustafsson and Don Juan 
Diego decide, and this is very reasonable for villains to come to this conclusion, we need to steal Buddy the robot. And they do. They swipe Buddy. Oh, no. Oh, no, they swipe Buddy. But when they present Buddy to a bunch of random people, I don't know if these are people who work in the toy industry or if they're just general customers who might be interested in buying a Buddy robot, they present Buddy, but Buddy doesn't work because nobody in the room really, truly believes that he will work. And Gustafsson is disgusted. He says, oh, this piece of crap, this robot doesn't work. Throw it into the junkyard, the furnace or whatever. Burn it up. Even though this is one of the craziest plot points in the movie, he keeps insisting, well, the, the robot doesn't work. Obviously, it's a piece of crap. Uh, Gustafsson, you saw the buddy robot work. You know it works. You just don't know something about the robot, okay? You don't know about the belief quotient. Oh, but Gustafsson's disgusted. He says, throw the robot away. Who cares? Long story short, Buddy is stolen. I already said that. But he is recovered by Journey and Edison. They manage to save him with the help of Jeronicus Jangle. And Jeronicus makes up with his grown daughter. Jessica comes to town from her little house out in the country so she can pick up Journey and take them back home. Take her back home, I should say, and the family reunites and they repair all of the frayed bonds that they've been dealing with for the last few decades, and it's wonderful. But, oh, who's this at the door? It's Gustafsson. He's claiming that the buddy robot designs were stolen by Jeronicus Jangle, and we know that's not true. Journey knows that's not true, and I'm not going to go into it. It's all a bunch of hullabaloo, but Journey reveals Gustafsson to be a thief and a liar, and the police arrest him. The police straight up throw him in jail. Mr. Delacroix shows up. They they present Buddy to Mr. Delacroix and he's flabbergasted. He says, oh my God, this robot is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my fucking life. He, and he says, you can have as much money as you want for... Ever. We will give you all of the money you could ever possibly conceive of because this robot is the most amazing thing we have ever seen. And the movie ends with us revealing this big twist that Grandmother is actually the adult version of Journey. And who's that coming around the Christmas tree here at the bookend of our framework device? It's Buddy. Buddy the robot is still around. Hello, it's me. I'm basically immortal. I have a cursed life. Come, children, let us fly out the window through the Christmas snow toward the gigantic factory that has been built in the name of Jeronicus Jangle. The factory that they begin to fly toward, they act like this is a really magical moment, but I actually found it to be a little eerie and strange because it's this very industrial, like, smokestack factory. We've gone from the tiny Jangle and Things toy shop to a very intimidating nightscape moonlit factory. It's just, I don't know, there's something about this gigantic globalization effort that's sort of been built around the factory. It's very strange. The kids also have this reaction to seeing the factory that's very strange because they essentially say, oh, is that the factory? Is that Jeronicus Jangle's factory? You mean the factory that's sitting right outside in plain view of your grandmother's house? The factory that everybody in this city would know about ostensibly? Uh, yeah, the one with a gigantic J on top of the main building? Yeah, that's Jeronicus Jangle's factory. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I never told you that I'm related to him. I'm his granddaughter. Let's fly there now. It's very weird. That's the plot summary for you. With the plot out of the way, I can now talk to you about all of the pros and the teeny tiny little quibble cons that I have with the movie. I guess I've already talked about a few of those little quibble cons as they relate to the plot. I'll start by saying this. Here's a big pro. All of the songs, even the ones that only seem sort of half finished, are solid and some of them are absolutely fantastic. This Day, which is the opening number. Oh my god, I was immediately swept away by this opening number. I, I felt myself kind of feeling like I was on the edge of crying a little bit, seeing all of these people in these amazing costumes dancing about and flipping about like gymnasts. Oh, to see people experiencing the joy of dance and song and music in this very elaborate, these beautiful sets in these beautiful costumes, it really is so well realized as this candy colored, it's a feast. It's a really a feast for the eyes and the ears right up at the top of the movie. And I just, I was overwhelmed. That 
that first number, This Day, has a real greatest showman quality to it. I just kept thinking of, this is the greatest show! It just, it's a banger. It's a fucking banger. It, it really lays down the tone and the style of what we're going to be experiencing over the next two hours. The movie's a little long. I would think, I think I have this written down later here in my notes, but it could definitely be shorter. But at the very least, right up top, we're having fun. It doesn't take us a long time to get to the fun. Oh boy, I have a feeling that Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square is going to pale in comparison to the quality of Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. And that's all I will say about that for now. I can see your name in light. Gustafson and the one by your side. A rare opportunity If you learn to borrow indefinitely song that Ricky Martin has is a song known as Borrow Indefinitely. This is the song that Don Juan Diego sings when he's encouraging the young Gustafson to steal the book of inventions. The movie goes on to imply heavily, quite heavily, that Don Juan Diego is becoming this looming, all-powerful, evil presence in Gustafson's life. He's digging his hooks into Gustafson over time, and there's a shot in particular, these wonderfully animated puppet sequences, where Don Juan Diego is literally looming over the entire landscape of Gustafsson's career, his toy empire. He has these gigantic hands and this leering, evil expression. And I really wanted us to keep exploring that. I wanted Gustafsson to be this cowering little figure in the face of this teeny tiny, yet unbelievably intimidating puppet character. I thought that would have been really entertaining. Unfortunately, this is the only song that Don Juan Diego gets, and I think that that is... That's not really living up to the potential of having Ricky Martin involved in your project. I think we need to have a true big bad villain song. I am the biggest baddest motherfucking villain on the planet song. We should have written that song for Ricky Martin. He deserves a second song. He deserves a banger. Okay, the villains in general, Gustafson and Don Juan Diego, I needed them to be beefed up a little bit. Their schemes were generally incompetent and impotent. They weren't very effective overall outside of stealing the book of inventions. In any sort of real world context, Jeronica Strangle could have easily sued Gustafson for everything that he was worth. It's not like he didn't have patents or copyrights or anything on the invent. Why am I talking about? Why am I applying real world patent law to Jingle Jangle A Christmas Journey? Let's move on, shall we? Just because you fell down, don't believe you can pick yourself up again. Just because it looks broke, don't believe it won't. is a song that kind of appears out of nowhere and it really confused me. I wasn't really sure where we were going with the character of Miss Johnston. I just did not expect Miss Johnston, who is this postal worker, she delivers mail to all of the people of the town. I, if you had told me, if you had asked me, I should say, what do you think's gonna happen with this character? Do you think she's gonna have a really horny song about wanting to fuck Jeronicus Jangle? I would have said, uh, no, that is not what I would have predicted. And she has backup singers 
sometimes that doesn't really work for me, especially in how Geronicus points out that they are backup singers. I'm never really a fan of peeling back the layers of a movie musical and getting meta with it. Oh, people are singing, people are dancing, how strange. I, I didn't necessarily find that to be funny. Uh, Miss Johnston might just be one character too many for me, and I think that statement can also be applied to Edison. Edison, I am sorry, but he... He really doesn't add much to the plot. Journey is already the kid who wants to be the inventor. She is the one with the big dreams. She sings about her big dreams. That's all we need. We don't also need a second kid who has the exact same aspirations, needs, and desires. He wants to be accepted by Geronicus, just like Journey wants to be accepted by Geronicus. How many times am I going to say Geronicus throughout this episode? I don't know. Cut Addison and probably cut Miss Johnston because ultimately her role as a to worker is really just, she's a function of the plot. She's a little bit of a grease injection for a squeaky wheel. How do we get the kids to the Gustafsson factory? Well, we'll just have them, well, we'll just have them stow away in the postal truck. Done and done. Now just cut the character. They expect me to play outside and run but I prefer to measure things cause that's what I call fun mom says I'm great that should be enough being great is good and all but being different sure is tough I know there's some place out there and until the day is first meet Journey, she is introduced via this song, which is called Not the Only One. This is absolutely not a complete song. It just stops, and that really threw me, and it disappointed me greatly, because I felt like we were we were really building toward a true I Want anthem. So she has this song, Not the Only One, but then she goes on to sing Square Root of Possible. So technically, she has one and a half I Want songs. No, that's ridiculous. Alternate pitch for for this first moment, why don't we introduce Journey through the filter of her relationship, through the lens, I should say, of her relationship with her mother, Jessica. Have a song between Journey and Anikanoni Rose as Jessica. These two are fantastic. I want to cite the young actress who plays Journey here, Madeline Mills. Have a song between Madeline Mills and Anikanoni Rose that really lays the groundwork for their dynamic as mother and daughter. And in that way, we are introduced to the grown version of Jessica and her daughter at the same time. It's functional, and I think it could also be quite lovely. Don't give me this half-baked, undercooked, one-half of an I Want song. No, thank you. There's a feeling you're feeling way down, down deep in your soul. There's an emptiness you can't hide. I can smell it through your clothes. And the only thing that can fill you up Hidden behind these doors You really want to know? Well, come in close What you're about to witness You've never, ever seen before It's gonna be on every wish list As soon as it hits the stores And do you know who's got the brilliant mind To supply your needs? The Magic Man Chief Gustafsson's big song, which is called Magic Man G. Magic Man G, that's his big bad guy anthem. And this song gestures toward a gaping chasm of sadness within the character, and I really wanted us to lean into that more. All of the lyrics in Magic Man G are talking about 
You know you have this gigantic void inside you that you can't fill? This gnawing sense of guilt and shame that overwhelms you in the middle of the night? Huh? Am I right? I'm not the only one who's experiencing this, right? Why not fill that void with my toys? The character is clearly dealing with imposter syndrome. He's this big celebrity persona, this figure in the town. But the, the fact that he has built his entire empire on a lie is clearly gnawing in him. And the movie just doesn't do enough with that either. There, there are all of these really interesting threads that I really want to keep pulling on. I want to see where those take us. But we always get cut off after about 20% of a 100% journey. And that's disappointing. For a two-hour movie, you'd think there'd actually be a lot more character development in regards to Gustafsson especially, but no, we just don't get it. It's a little frustrating, but it's only a little frustrating, you understand? Just a little. My favorite song by far, it's the reason why I went out of my way to buy the soundtrack via Apple Music. It was eight bucks. Eight bucks well spent, I should say. The best song in the entire movie, and Chris and I agree, is Square Root of Possible. I referenced this song but a moment ago. This is the true, proper I want song for the character of Journey, and it's amazing. I've listened to it so many times. Madeline Mills is really, a, she really is a modern-day Annie Warbucks. I mean, the pep, the optimism, the brightness in her eyes, I just, I fell in love with her. It was just a wonderful experience watching her sing this song that really just, it has no restraint. It just keeps building and building on top of itself. The energy just keeps getting exponentially greater and more infectious. Oh my God, I just, I was over the moon for this song. I was completely swept away by it. I feel like I've said these phrases a few times now, but when you are as affected by a song as I am by Square Root of Possible, you kind of do just get reduced to blather. <laughs> you have to listen to it. Okay, so you would have heard a bit of this day at the beginning of the episode. Uh, that's the plan for us to do that at least. But I am going to play Square Root of Possible in its entirety at the end of this episode. You can bet on that. You can count on that. Because if you're not going to watch the damn movie, you are absolutely going to listen to that fucking song. That is your homework. Do not turn off the episode. You will enjoy that song. I have a few more notes here regarding the score, the songs featured in Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. There is a song known as Over and Over, which is Forrest Whitaker's big character song as Geronicus, and I did not expect Forrest Whitaker to have any ability to sing. I don't know if he has sung before in any of his other films. I just assumed that if he was going to sing, quote-unquote, that he would be doing a bit of Rex Harrison-style talk singing. But in actuality, I was overjoyed to find that he's actually a pretty decent singer. He's not really blowing me away in any real sense, but he has a very light touch. He is able to uh, access this sort of feathery, silky, silvery head voice, and it's very charming, and I enjoyed watching him. I actually enjoyed watching him sing a lot more than I did watching him... <laughs> sort of talk to himself and just be a weirdo. His performance overall is maybe a little bit too weird. I could have used some more shading. I really wanted to see that fall away. I wanted to see the weird scales fall from his eyes. I wanted to see some clarity in that character after a while. Uh, there's a moment where he says to Buddy the robot, Buddy comes to life because he suddenly believes that Buddy has the ability to come to life. And you would think that he would be overjoyed, but he just says, Hello, buddy. Hello, little robot. <laughs> he, he's just, he's so shell-shocked. It's as if Geronicus has been in a terrible, terrible war. I just want to give the guy a hug and I want to give him some meds is what I want to do. Every little hour that I spent 
It's gonna be worth it in the end If I just get it, I just get it to work again I've come this far without your help Figured it out all by myself Forgiveness show ain't easy Don't know what I'm gonna do Or if my heart will find its way to you Finally, we must take a moment not only for me to slow down and talk at a more measured pace. I'm just, I'm so excited to talk about Jingle Jangle, apparently. We are also in this moment going to talk about how wonderful Anika Noni Rose is in this movie. She, she sings Make It Work as if it's the last song she is ever going to sing. I couldn't believe how hard she went to the mat from moment one. The first note out of her mouth is just, oh my goodness, it's like light filling up my skull. I, I desperately needed her to sing in that moment. Chris and I were talking to each other about when are we going to see Anika Noni Rose again and when is she going to sing? Does she deserve two songs? Yes, she only gets one. She needs two. Does Ricky Martin only get one song? Yes. Does she? Ah, does she? Does he deserve two? Yes, he absolutely does. More music, more singing for all of these people, I say. But Make It Work is just great. I, I couldn't get over the blacksmith and all of the people with shovels. There's this very like, ooh, this very industrial working man choreography. We got the blacksmith, bang! And we have the shovels throwing the snow around. Oh my goodness, it was just so dramatic. It was so dramatic. The movie doesn't have a final number. That is a gigantic con. That is a big sin. Oh my God, truly criminal. We need to see the shop come back to life. I don't want to see the pawn shop anymore. I want us to jump forward in time. I want to see the shop come to life. And we need to see all of the characters in that shop Celebrating. I wanted to see a million buddy bots zipping around, making people fly. It's not an unreasonable expectation. Instead, when we go back to Grandmother Journey, we do a reprise of the Square Root of Possible song. That's what we do. It's very strange. I didn't understand why we couldn't go out of our way to write another new song. It's a happy ending song. Hello? Am I crazy? I'm not a songwriter. I know it's not easy, quote unquote, but you're invested in this project. Give yourself a proper final number. Let's move beyond the score. I think it's clear that I am generally a fan of the score so much, so much of a fan that I want more of it, obviously. I need to keep talking about the production design. The influences that I wrote down, these are the obvious production design influences in my mind. We of course have a Christmas carol in the mix. Everybody's wearing top hats, but we also have the, <laughs> I love how I reduce the aesthetic of a Christmas carol down to top hats. We also have the Wizard of Oz because Gustafsson's toy factory is one part Emerald City and also one part the Wicked Witch's Castle from that movie. Oh, I really enjoy that element of it. Anything that reminds me of Wizard of Oz, I'm such a sucker for that shit. But we also have Hello Dolly. Oh my gosh. Someone on Twitter pointed out that it was it was a lot like the Pearl Bailey production of Hello Dolly. And I can see that. I can absolutely see that. All of the women and the men, now that I think about it, are very uniformly decked out in Czech checkered patterns and plaids, these big bustles, and ooh, these gigantic Easter parade hats. It's also very Easter parade, come to think of it. But we also have Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, the, the Brandy Whitney Houston version of that show, I should say, from 1997. That definitely came to mind. But of course, the greatest showman, we have to cite that. And Buddy the Robot does make me think of Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Of course, Buddy the Robot blows Johnny Five out of the water. Buddy the Robot is so cute. He's cute as a button. When they show him as a little cartoon, as a little CGI cartoon over the credits, oh, that was so cute. I would like to own a very tiny little tchotchke desk figurine version of Buddy. Those animated sequences where everybody is, I guess it's not really accurate to describe them as puppets. They do have a bit of a puppet marionette quality, that's true. But they also move around the environments that they are in as if they are on music box tracks. If you've ever seen cuckoo clocks or music boxes where little humanoid figurines move along on predetermined
and tracks. That's how these characters are moving throughout these animated spaces. And as an animation nerd, I mean, you know this, I'm a big animation nerd, and I found that to be so cool. And the effect that really, really got to me, there was a moment where Geronicus and his young daughter are visiting his wife's tombstone, her grave, and they achieve a rain effect via string. Oh my god, it was so great. I mean, this is all CGI. They're trying to achieve this physical, tactile quality via CGI, and I'm sure it would have looked even more amazing if it was full-on Leica stop-motion animation. I think that that would have been even more beautiful to look at, but this is pretty amazing to look at. I just, I don't know, that was a very clean, simple effect. How do we achieve falling rain in this animation style? String. And we cast light upon it to create this reflection effect. Oh my goodness. It was so mesmerizing and mystical and magical. Woo! It made me, it gave me goosebumps is what it did. Let's see, what do I want to talk about next? I do have a slight con in regards to the film's overall structure. It is oddly structured. The movie seems to end halfway through with this big action set piece. One that revolves around rescuing Buddy the Robot from, <laughs> from, the, from the destruction of the furnace. It's this big action sequence. But it comes right at the center of the movie and everything that comes after that is just Fallout. It's Fallout character development where everybody is sort of going through family counseling essentially. Gustafsson and Don Juan Diego, they return as I mentioned in my plot summary, but they're very incompetent. They're very impotent. They don't have much of an impact after that major action sequence at the center of the film. So that was a little strange. I, I think I was expecting more of a predictable family film, kitty film structure, and I didn't get it. The film is more interested in dealing with the emotional fallout of all of these characters coming back together. When Forrest Whitaker and Anika Noni Rose come back together as Geronicus and Jessica, it is, it is tough, and it is this very dramatic, real scene. It has this real quality to it that doesn't seem like a Hallmark movie or a Lifetime movie. It seems like there's real pain in that room, and I, I found that to be surprising. So I guess I'm not really complaining about the structure. I just find it to be off-kilter, unconventional, and I guess that's not really a bad thing. I think I just talked myself out of this being a criticism. I think that just happened. Moving through my notes here, I do have it written down that Geronicus goes back to being a glum version of Ebenezer Scrooge more than a few times. I just feel like that arc could have been a little bit clearer. That trajectory could have been clearer. Of course, when you're depressed, you... You often rise out of that only to tumble backwards back into the depression over and over and over again. It's a very terrible cycle to experience. I can relate to it. It's believable. It's totally believable. But for a two-hour movie, it's just tough to watch that over and over and over again. You can do it a couple of times, but then after a while, you're just repeating yourself. Uh, here's another slight con. The pacing is off. So there's, there's a strange unconventional quality to the structure of the plot, but then within individual scenes, the pacing can be off. There is a moment in the opening minutes of the movie where Felicia Rashad reveals herself to her grandchildren. I believe she walks around a Christmas tree, and there is a shot of her staring at them straight down the barrel of the camera, basically, that goes on for, I'm not kidding, four solid seconds, and it's just her standing in complete silence. She is not doing anything. She may not even be blinking, and it's little things like that that go on for too long that kind of throw the movie off, Every now and then you start to wonder if you're going crazy or if it truly is the movie's fault. There is a scene between Keegan-Michael Key and Madeline Mills with enough pinter pauses to fill a Broadway play. The score is very subtle and there's a lot of silence, but there's not a lot that can be read into the silences. You're just not sure what anyone is thinking, what anyone really wants or where they're going in that scene. Gustafson is trying to convince Journey to bring him into the toy shop and show him Buddy so that he can steal Buddy. Again, an incompetent villain. It's not a very good plan. It, and the tone and the pace of the scene, it's like a distracted PA is behind the camera feeding each of the actors their lines. Not only their lines, but their physical blocking and doing a poor job of it. It's like... <laughs> It's like the PA saying, okay, uh, sorry, um, I'm looking through the notes. Okay, uh, Keegan, you say, show me the robot. And okay, now I know that I know that Journey has a response here, but where, oh, my notes are all scattered all over the floor and they're covered in sticky chocolate syrup. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, grab her, grab her by the arm. Yeah, that's it. And cut, print. <laughs> 
Should we do another take? No. I'm gonna pump the brakes right now because this is one of the biggest elements, one of the biggest takeaways, I should say, I had from Jingle Jangle, a Christmas journey. There is a lot of mumbo-jumbo magic math in the movie. Uh, of course, Geronicus is this brilliant inventor and, and you know, Journey is as well, as is her mother, Jessica, and they all see math in front of them. They imagine, they don't imagine it. They act like it really is this mumbo-jumbo magic math that appears in front of them as a series of hieroglyphs. All of it is drenched in this mystical, magical light and they sometimes see it simultaneously. Two characters will see the same diagram diagram the blueprint of math in front of them, and Forrest Whitaker turns to Journey and he says, do you see that? Do you also see the math that is hovering in front of us like firecrackers, like some sort of message from a from a scary god? And she goes, yeah, I do see the mumbo-jumbo magic math. Now, why do I keep describing it as mumbo-jumbo magic math? It's because it's not real math. I thought that this movie was going to have this great message about, you know, embracing science and engineering, and if you want to be a mechanic, an inventor, you should embrace the sciences. But there is no real science in this. There's no real math. All of the terminology, all of the slang and the buzzwords that get thrown around for the science, they just don't exist. Everybody's talking about, like, the square root of possibility or the Venn diagram of awesome. They just keep saying things like that. Like, oh, if we invert the wackadoo and we multiply it by Jim Jam, <laughs> then the, the results are going to be splendiferous. And that's supposed to be math. They even use this crazy mumbo-jumbo magic math to calculate how they should put together snowballs. They have a snowball fight. I'm talking about Geronicus and Journey. They, they, this happens in the streets. And when they use their math to make snowballs, the snowballs fly through the air slowly and they, they perform physical tricks in the air. They This is crazy. I just don't understand what the whole point of this is. And after a while, it started to come off as a little bit Scientology. I'm not really going to point a true finger in the movie's direction when it comes to this. This hot take of mine might actually be stone cold, but after a while, this, this talk of belief and new math, and <laughs> it just sounds like Will Smith talking with his kids about, oh yeah, we came up with this new math. It's all crystal-based. If you look into a crystal and you can see the inverted fragments of the fractals, then you can find out how to be totally cool. And we're not being weird. It's real, man. It's a real math system that we've made up. It's just, I don't know, the whole thing reeks of Scientology to me. Two more points here. I'll get through this first one real quick. This isn't really a Christmas movie. It's barely a Christmas movie. Did I need there to be a lot more Christmas talk throughout this movie? No, but I could have used a little bit more. See, that's a good sign. The fact that I keep wanting more, I'm not dissatisfied to a point where I want to walk away from the movie. I want to I want to keep sitting in front of the movie and I want it to give me more of what it already has. And there's just not enough Christmas. Christmas talk. It's all happening in the background. And there, there's just not enough gift giving. There's not enough trees. I just, I need more Christmas in my Christmas movie. I'm a little Christmas baby. Uh-oh, Christmas baby. And I truly do believe I saved the best for last. I put this at the bottom of my, of my notes because Chris and I just don't know what happens at the end of this movie. And we need, we need your help. If you have seen Jingle Jangle and you feel like you know what's going on in these final moments, please let us know. I left this out of my plot summary because I wanted to save it for the end of this episode. But there is a moment when we return to Felicia Rashad as Grandmother Journey where she is sitting with her two grandchildren and she pulls back her hair to reveal that her head, her head is full of clockwork gears. And I don't remember what she says to them, but she says something to the effect of, you're not the only one who's something something. And she's referencing the gears with this line and we Chris and I could not get over it. We were bowled over. What is happening? Is Grandmother Journey part robot? Is she is she living beyond her natural age expectation? Her age expectancy, I should say? 
What is going on? Why does she have gears in her head? Nobody had gears in their heads leading up to this. <laughs> oh boy. Really scary stuff. Really scary stuff. Do I think the whole framework device could have been cut? Yes. I believe that the exposition provided by the framework device could have been parsed out in other ways, in other basic flashback devices. I do think Felicia Rashad deserved to be in the movie. I just think we could have found a role for her in the actual narrative. I think that's possible. I don't think that's too crazy for us to surmise that we could find a part for her. She could have played the owner of the bank for all I care. Why does it have to be some weird white guy with, who sort of looks like Victor Garber but isn't? Ooh, they really should have gotten Victor Garber for the Mr. Delacroix number. But then again, if you cast Victor Garber, he has to have a song. So that might have made things too complicated. And the kids in that framework device, too many kids! We don't need all of these kids running around. Journey should be the main point of focus. Thank you very much. That's all I have to say about Jingle Jangle a Christmas Journey. I do hope that you enjoyed this $1 a month bonus episode. We have another one coming out this very same day that's all about Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, the other Netflix Christmas movie musical that's coming out this season. Again, I don't think it's going to be as good as Jingle Jangle, but we shall see. We shall see. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for donating, and we'll see you soon! Oh, my back! <laughs> oh my god! Someone call an ambulance! <laughs> oh, jingle jangle! Where's the world that you created? And the stories that you painted With words that made me feel ten feet tall Where's the magic in? Surprise hidden inside. No, I don't see much to inspire much at all. And I'm ready now to fly away. And gravity won't get up. Thank to say it's my choice. It's so